Hey everybody, welcome to the 26th episode of Cult Following, the podcast from the people who bring you cult classics AZ every month in Tempe, Arizona. Check us out Saturday, December 12th for a special presentation of Mel Brooks's Spaceballs. Tickets are almost sold out. You can get them online at cultclassicsaz.com and limited tickets remain at Z Records locations throughout the valley. I'm one of your three hosts for this edition. I'm Victor Marino, along with Adam Rutkowski. Meow. And Kirby Nelson. <sighs> Remember, guys, you can always sign up for these awesome podcasts straight to your inbox via RSS by liking and subscribing us to us on iTunes. And find us on our website, cultfollowing.co, and on SoundCloud. This edition of Cult Following, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, one of our favorite things in the, you know, $5 bin at the Walmart or the Walgreens or the Circle K, especially as, uh, you know, big blockbusters are starting to come out this year, you know, like Star Wars The Force Awakens or The Hateful Eight, because, you know, if you check on Netflix right now, you'll see stuff like The Ridiculous Six, or you'll see stuff like Turkish Star Wars. That's right, we're going to talk about mockbusters. That's right, the things you love to see from the worlds of uh, Carnosaur to Transmorphers, and we're all really excited to talk about it. Right, guys? Victor's already gone hoarse from talking about so much beforehand. Yeah, I'm I know, just so right? mesmerized by your, your, your voice today. My voice, it's very radio-friendly. It's like Casey Kasem if he took some steroids. Oh, when uh, when I would have downtime, when I had my recording studio, it was always fun to go in and just kind of do my own stuff. And when I would have like a really bad cold, and I sounded like Tom Waits, I mean, then that's what I would sit in, and I would just start doing like Tom Waits-ish type tunes. I mean, it was like really bad. I know, I was joking the other night that I should totally record a bunch of promos like this yep, right now. Yep. Let's be like, yep. hey, support cool classics. Yep. You know, but, uh, you know, we're all getting over cold this winter in Arizona, something we're, we can't deal with genetically, so. Hmm. I'm doing okay right now. I'm all right. Yeah. Well, the boba heals all. Boba. Cur- Kirby is enjoying his boba right now. I am enjoying a uh, Pepsi Wild Cherry. You know, and I have a uh, iced coffee from twenty ounces of it. Circle uh, K, ching. No, it's like the star Starbucks store bought stuff. As I joke about product placement, if you are interested in being a you know potential sponsor, hit us up. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> my uh, my SoundCloud dues are coming up. Uh oh, that's right, guys. Maybe we'll put up it's, a donate it's button. Been like a year. A donate button on the website. Help us help you. I remember seeing a band years ago said it been like seven or eight years ago that was a like a pop punk band and they were sponsored by Fruit Gushers and I was like how do you get sponsored by Fruit Gushers because everything else is standard Marshall Rockstar Monster Energy drinks you know Vans I get all those but Gushers I uh, I think they always used didn't they used to sponsor like WWE or something shows like Fruit Gushers I feel like it well probably but like WWE karate is, fighters is, in the nineties is viable <laughs> how are you giving me some pop punk band and be like yeah we're getting some Gushers for free on the road like that's your whole thing like some other band I remember was once they're all like pop punk bands yeah. so I need to get my pop punk band running again so we can get sponsored by like Sour Patch Kids or something. or Fruit by the Foot. You know is, there, is there still fruit by the foot? 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't even know. I haven't. Do you remember any... bubble tape? Yes, I do. Six feet of bubble gum for you, not that. I also remember when I was a kid, pre-vegan years, loving the um, the uh, beef jerky snuff yeah. a little too much. Everything that was in uh in uh what do you call it like tin form was the way, so like the bubble tape i just had stacked stuff all over so they don't have that anymore the jerky in the tins they i don't that think no was... they just it's just like the slim jim formula now i don't think it's i think well, it just died out popular but may have been that people i were think there was controversy from dipping like what you're doing yeah you're like teaching the kids like how to dip well yeah it's like um do you remember that and, bubble uh, gum that, that gum, yeah, yeah the, big, big league, league chew, chew yeah. yeah it was like shredded up like snuff it, yeah, that was. They a big still make too. big. I know, shit, and I never understood when I was a kid. Like, I was like, "Why is this like shredded?" And it's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, because all the ball players like you know." But then the ball players that were trying to quit actually got sponsored with Big League Chew as a supplement, you know, for their that are like their, sunflower their seeds, their oral fixation. Yeah, that's right. Because I always thought it was disgusting. Like when I would watch baseball as a kid and they'd be spitting. I never oh, yeah. realized they were spitting tobacco. I'm like, "Holy God, baseball fucks you up." <laughs> <laughs> baseball leads to tobacco mouth count yeah, yeah exactly pretty much but no, all the candy i liked as a kid they don't even make any like uh when i watched uh let me in you know the american let the right one in and the kids like having now or laters because it's said in the 80s like i love now or There's, now later i think they must have brought them back because of that because yeah. they stopped making them. oh no i think that one's been around I no to, like i, I watched think... i watched like one of the featurettes and they said it's they stopped making it like in the 90s and then they had to actually license it to make it again for uh, the movie. i have no idea i still see them now again it before that though yeah. but i don't know it's the baron stain bears effect there's uh what do you call it but i mean like i you know i don't keep up much because i don't really do fast food or any of that kind of stuff and uh, I didn't even know that they were making uh, Surge slushies at Burger King. Well, I guess Surge just came back. Well, Surge came back through Amazon's, like, buy-on-demand thing. Yeah. And now I guess, I mean, I'm waiting for OK Soda to come back. I might start drinking soda again just to try it again. It worked, uh, clearly, Canadian came back, too. That was one of those. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Supported things. So mm-hmm. there's there's tons of stuff. I mean... Your beverage, your favorite uh, childhood beverage or food stuff may have a Kickstarter right now. Well, you heard the whole thing about the Pepsi Perfect, right? Which one is that? The Back to the Future Two Pepsi. Like Amazon brought some back and it sold out like in five seconds, and there was this huge backlash. Right. My thinking is, why don't you just do it like they do the Pepsi throwbacks at Target? Just make it a store exclusive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that's. I just like how everything there. Has been a collector's edition. There's an amazing um, indie horror film I saw years ago called The Man Who Collected Food. And it's, <laughs> oh it's basically God. about a guy who collects food. And he, so because he collects food and never wants to open it, he becomes a cannibal. So he just kills people left and right. And, and then, you know, he has his food all displayed. And it's like weird because I was like, you know, it's such an interesting idea. And then I learned through like I think it was a Rue Morgue article that people uh, I didn't know collected all like the monster cereals, like the nineteen seventy two. Well, no, I mean I knew like the related merchandising stuff. I had always seen it, but um, and people obviously buy it every Halloween. But I mean like a vintage whatever is like seventy three Count Chocula box mint unopened is like four thousand dollars. That's insane. Well, I remember like um, Fruit Brood until they brought it back that, a couple years ago was like the rarest of them all because they would bring back all the other ones periodically. Mm-hmm. Like um, 
Boo Berry, Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and then Yummy Mummy was the one. That yeah, had. was the other one. But Fruit Brute had only hadn't been back in like twenty years. All I remember was in 1989 eating a ton of Ninja Turtle pies for the stickers, and I hated those things so yeah. much. They were awful, and yet, but the cereal was good. The Ninja Turtle cereal was awesome. That's the whole thing. I think kids like. I mean, I see it now. Like I, I pointed out, like when we were in the Target not too long ago, that they had like the frozen cereal, right? But when I was a kid, it's like every friggin' movie like that you would think of had a licensed cereal. Like they had Gremlin cereal, Batman the movie cereal, Ghostbusters cereal. And it's funny, like I was going back and researching them. The, the, the most disturbing thing to me was that uh, pure, like it was a uh, Purina made all these cereals. <laughs> See, I was thinking you were just gonna go, and I discovered they were all Captain Crunch with various <laughs> yeah. marshmallow uh, add-ons. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, yeah, we make uh, licensed cereals and dog food, y'all. Well, if you want to check out our new podcast, Food Collectibles, <laughs> it's gonna be coming out here soon. Yeah. Well, every once in a while we go into tangents. Um, you know, it's important. We're going to talk a little bit about what we what we've been watching. We haven't been, you know, watching a lot of lot lately because of the holidays eating up our time. So a little, you know, divergent thing was needed right there. Plus, I think we talked about a lot of our recent stuff on the last edition, right? What What have you been up to, uh, Kirby? Um, really, all I checked out and stuff. Uh, you know. Some watching some shows here and there. Uh, I think I mentioned on the last podcast. I did catch up. I think the this week is a lot finale of Scream Queens, and uh, I watched the um, thanks, oh yeah it the is. Thanksgiving episode has to honestly be one of the funniest episodes I've seen ever. Um, and I did uh, the Black Friday one was good too. Yeah, Thanksgiving uh, one was the funnier. Thanksgiving one, especially the dinner at his house, his Hamptons house was absolutely chad's was one of the funniest things i've seen in forever but um and then it was I, a great alan thick cameo that it was it was yeah. excellent to see uh mr siever there but um the other one that uh i did finally get to see the pilot episode of ash versus evil dead and i'm definitely impressed. which sam raimi directed that yeah one. It, it's really well done. Like, I definitely like it. Um, I can already see kind of what Adam was talking about, that you could piece it all together and make it into a movie yeah. just by uh, splicing all the episodes together. Um, I, it, the makeup is great. The uh, The gore is awesome. It's a lot of fun. It's just um, it's one where I hope to start watching it some more so I can talk a little bit more about it. But um, good stuff. Without spoiling it, I'd say this week's episode is probably the like the best one thus far. It just keeps getting better, I think. What do you think, Adam? I uh, didn't watch it yet. Oh, well, uh, see, it's a good thing I didn't spoil it. We, I've been really busy. Yeah, yeah, you should watch that after we're done. Um, I did watch the, uh, I, I don't know if it's really new or old, but it's the, there's like a, it's not really a documentary because it's only about an hour. It's like a special, but it's Chaos on the Bridge. It's on Netflix right now. It's basically how they brought um, Star Trek The Next Generation to television, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. And um, it's re- like the tumultuous first like two years, basically, uh, first couple seasons. And it's really interesting, especially an insight into Gene Roddenberry, obviously, in his life and his last days. And then That's got to be interesting, especially yeah. since it kind of did start out as like 
Star Trek TOS light, and then just kind of became its own thing after he died. Yeah, well, it's just interesting, like, everybody dueling it out, um, the Writers Guild strike, um, they're, like, people do not mince words, and how cheap it was, and, like, how, like, Patrick Stewart, I know, and Denise Crosby talk about, like, stealing food from other, like, from the Cheers set or something. Wow. It's, it's pretty good, like, it's, and all the networks turning it down, nobody wanted to, like, you know, take a chance on it. And um, it's just, it's a really, I mean, for, you know, it's good they probably kept it more uh, slim because I think if it, it would have gotten bloated at about like an hour and 40 minutes. But um, interesting. It's like, it's on Netflix. It's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I got that on my queue. Yeah. Um, I started watching the Electric Boogaloo, uh, the Canon Films one. Yeah. And I will let you know, hopefully, next podcast. But uh, really, my only big watch of the week was I uh, finally went and saw uh, Krumpus last night. Oh, yeah. I still need to see that. So um, I probably talked about it before, but Trick or Treat is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years and probably one of my favorite films of all time. It actually has basically replaced Halloween as my usual is, Halloween is movie. Is there a Sam cameo? Not that I saw, but if somebody else saw it, uh, you're, you got better eyes than me. I'm... I'm getting cataracts or something no. i i didn't really pay there's definitely sam like creatures obviously in uh his his uh, elvish elv elves and his assistants and stuff it um i mean i love horror anthology so that's why trigger treats so important to me but i, I really i'm always rooting for michael uh doherty and stuff i think he makes amazing films writes great scripts in the end, though, it, it, Krampus, I'm sorry, it, it, I wanted it so bad to be, like, yeah, the best I, film of the year. I've heard a lot of mixed things. Uh, 710, probably, out of, out of all of them. I mean, when it comes down to it, the first, the build-up is so good. The first 45 minutes is really fun, but I think the comedy, unfortunately, misses it mo its mark a few times. There's some great jokes, great exchanges, excellent cast. Um, really well done effects, uh, especially in the second half. But then there's some parts that you know kind of look not as good. Um, I did love the ending. A lot of people hated it. Definitely everyone I saw it with um, hated it. Um, but it, it it's I don't know. I mean, I obviously like a lot of those people are expecting like blood and gut slash or like some kind of like, the Evil Dead remake or you know kind of modern horror where it is it's definitely. It's somebody, I think some reviewer said, it's the film Joe Dante should have made instead of Bearing the Axe because it's, and having just rewatched Gremlins recently. I have heard a lot, yeah. of, a lot of comparisons between this movie and Gremlins, weirdly Yeah, enough. the other one I'd say it's a lot like is The Gate, which is also one of my favorite movies. So um, it, it, it's good. It's, it's, please go out and see it. Support him. Um, check it out. It's a great holiday film. I, I mean, I love Silent Night, Deadly Night, Black Christmas, all the great, um, you know, Christmas Evil. I love holiday themed slashers. Um, but this film is is almost more just like a dark fantasy. It, it and that's the, where I think it has some failings. Is that it just tries to be a little too brutal sometimes. Um, like the one uh, puppet has like the Reaper mouth and <coughs> blade too. And it's just oh, Guillermo like, del Toro Toros. disease. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> it, it just is like it could have been much more original. There's just stuff that I think is just cribbed from you know. There's some loving homages, and then there's stuff that's just way too cribbed. But um, you know, I I don't know. Um, I went and saw one of my good friends. Um, 
who's actually birthday is today, so happy birthday, Logan. She's a, a good supporter of cult classics and cult following and just one of the best people. Um, but we both ended up feeling the same way about it, that it was just like a 710. So yeah. um, check it out, though. Have fun. Adam? Uh, what, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I saw a couple things. We've been really busy. Um, I mentioned this with the, the with the, the Star Wars podcast that I did last week that um, we were showing uh, New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi uh, every weekend, three weeks in a row at my house with the big screen that we have in the backyard. So just like getting all that to set up and, and, um, and pushed out and... All at uh, with once? all the food and everything, yeah, no, not all at once. Oh, over like, over man, like you're... three weeks, like every weekend. Ah, okay. So last weekend was uh, Empire Strikes Back. This Friday will be Return of the Jedi. Uh, all despecialized editions, uh, which are just incredible to watch. It's like I never want to watch it in, in any other way again. I finally saw The Wire, the Joseph Gordon Levitt on a wire, the uh, the uh, petite. Uh, Philippe Petit. Um, do you remember what that is, Victor? I'm so in the in the seventies, the high wire, high the wire. high wire. He he strung a man wire. on wire. No, the that's wire. The do, that's the documentary. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Robert Zemeckis this year made a movie called The Wire with Joseph oh, Gordon-Levitt. I did not, which know is that. the fictionalized. Oh, oh, wait, now I remember seeing that. that. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. How was that? If you've seen Man on a Wire, don't see The Wire. Because all you're going to do is you're going to compare and you're going to see where they took uh, fictional license to uh, make it more uh, either mysterious in some ways or more intense in some ways. And some of that license that they took, I didn't really like. Because Man on a Wire is such a good documentary and it's it's also told from... Uh, Philippe's uh, own voice. I mean, he's narrating the whole thing, and th- they kind of took that and, and implemented that in The Wire. Oh boy! No, which is which is okay. I well, mean, it- to me, that's like one of my nitpicks when they like just uh, you know the difference between Lords of Dogtown and Dogtown and the Z Boys, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's kind of like that. You can make that comparison. It's good if you don't know anything about the story itself. Yeah. So I have one question on that. Yeah. I remember that one was playing. I'm sure you did not see it in IMAX, but no. did you get to see it where it really showed off its cinematography? I mean, not did you necess- feel like you got the effect? I don't think that if you did even see it like in IMAX 3D that there would necessarily be an effect to it. Um, one of the things that I, I knew going into it, just hearing from other people, is it didn't really play with any kind of like vertigo. There were a couple times where it looked like straight down or looking straight up where I could see maybe uh, the 3D would have enhanced some of those situations. But it was never really a peril in danger, you know, because he was, he was so, or he is, he's so steady and he's so focused in what he does. Uh, they didn't uh, emphasize the, uh, the height or really so much of the danger at the end of the film, you kind of got the idea that um, Robert Zemeckis wanted to make a movie that was a homage to the Twin Towers and the events of 9-11. By just, that was the showcase that he wanted to show more so than the story of Philippe. But I don't think that 
it, it really pulled it off. Because it was more like an afterthought at the very end of maybe emphasizing like the Twin Towers. Like lots of shots of the Twin Towers, like their majesty. And reminding you of, you know, they're gone kind of thing. Yeah. Which they really didn't have. They didn't, really didn't have to do that. I mean, they could have really just stuck with the, the Philippe part, which they did for a majority of it. But kind of toward the end is when they got maybe a, a little bit, you know, ham-fisted with it. Yeah, well, yeah. But, but I don't think it was bad. I mean, it's a good movie. Robert Zemeckis makes good movies. You know, like Contact and stuff, you know, was good, too. You know, that it is a good movie. It kind of had that feel to it. Um, you know, where Contact is good, but it's not great. You know, you can watch it. You can sit down and watch it, but not fall in love with it. That's kind of like how The Wire is to me. Yeah. I could I could watch it I again. But know. What else has Robert Zemeckis made in the last few years? The Polar Express. Um, Gosh, that was like 2010, wasn't there, somewhere on there? No, the Polar Express was like 2000 and uh, um, like four or five. That was you one do, of the first Death two. Becomes Her. That was like 95. That was 92. Oh, yeah. Because um, uh, what's his... Cause, Polar Express is the first one, and that was Beowulf. And oh, then, Beowulf. When yeah, they started, he, he's been wait, doing a lot of CGI movies. When he started doing those, and then, oh, it was, no, that was Spielberg. I was thinking it was um, Tintin. Tintin. But Hugo was Zemeckis's too, wasn't it? No, no. that was Scorsese. That was Scorsese. That was it. I was trying to think, there's one other one that's kind of like that. Um, there was Jim Carrey's Christmas Carol. I forget the name of the effect. I'm sure someone. But you know what I mean, where it's like not rotoscope, obviously, but it's that kind yeah, of yeah, motion capture, motion capture, but painted. So where it's like that that line between it's it looks like real people, but then you get a little too close and realize it's uh, yeah, it's not CGI. It's like completely um, they are painting on. I mean, that's they film live action and then do I don't know. It's like makeup. I just forget the term. Someone uh, can fill okay. me in. Uh, flight. Was the last one? Oh, that's did. that. Um, oh, Denzel, Denzel Washington yeah. lands in the river. That was twenty twelve. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, he's just somebody I just don't think about much anymore. He kind of ruled the late eighties, early nineties. Well, he 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 was an early victim of Peter Jackson disease, where uh, he was way too interested in the technological end of things, and it kind of impacted his film work. Which I did see recently that, uh, not as a quick sidebar, I wanted to track from Adam, but I did see that, uh, uh, what's his name, Jackson Prince just sent out a statement recently that, like, I don't know what the fuck I was doing with the Hobbit movies. I'm really, really sorry. Yeah. It's like... He needs to just go back and do some, like, small movies where there's not any, like, CGI involved. And yeah, just but kind of learn how to pace and edit again but he's not gonna make a heavenly creatures let alone probably no like something or do a frighteners or something something where your budget is limited you know god what was that terrible one he did with sawyer sronin where she was like a murdered girl oh the lovely bones yeah yeah but that's he all and that's kind of was his hum uh harking back to his drama but i mean i just always feel like and it definitely has its defenders. It'll just end he up He just being... hasn't done a small no. movie in at least 20 years. His mo- in-between movie after Lord of the Rings was what, King Kong? King Kong was his one after Lord of the Rings, and then he did Lovely Bones, and then he went back to The Hobbit. Um, but the... Um, no, I was going to say what I think it'll turn out to be is it'll be his Drag Me to Hell. Explain that to me. Because Sam Raimi became a victim of his own 
Spider-Man and everything else. And I feel like when he tried to go back and make Evil Dead, and I like Drag Me to Hell, but I yeah. also think it's one I think I Drag Me to Hell should have been should not have had as much CGI as it had. Of course not. Yeah. But if that's what I'm saying, it's that he could have gone back and said, "Well, we can, we're going to do this with almost all practical effects." But I, I think you hit the nail on the head is is that it's like you became a victim of your obsession with technology. Yeah. Whether he admits it or well, not. Well, that's like one of the interesting things. Uh, when I watched the pilot for Ash vs. Evil Dead on Stars, they had like a little featurette after it where he's talking about like, oh my God, I've never filmed for television before. And do the limitations here were a lot like going back to low budget filmmaking because mm-hmm. other times like, oh, we can just do this in post. I'm like, no, we can't. So we got to figure out a way to make it work on camera. Right. You know, but it to me, it, like it kind of scared me that like his first instinct is like, oh no, we'll fix that later. I'm like, no, you really can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, True. I mean, I don't know that I, I couldn't even tell you the logistics of doing a TV show versus a movie. Yeah, know, I'm, I'm sure anyways, it just comes so. down to like money and everything. Well, I mean, they they're filming the whole thing in New Zealand too, mm-hmm. so money and scheduling. Yeah, definitely. What else is good, Adam? Oh, uh, I saw the first part one of the live action Attack on Titan. Oh, I saw that. Um, it's it's just as shallow as most manga anime to live action as any of the rest of them. Uh, it didn't make me want to see part two, even look. The, when they had kind of the, the trailer tag at the end, um, just made it look even more, uh, I guess, tr- trotting and heavy and just over bloated and pointless. I saw both parts. They're both really boring. Um, the only time you see a Titan, I think, is at the end of part one where it's reaching over the wall. And um, mostly it's... Uh, like the CGI they do on these naked people covered in makeup to make them look like giants. Mm-hmm. And then part two is just kind of a big fight and it's really boring and nothing really happens. Yeah. No, well, that's what I thought about the first yeah. one too. Uh, I, I haven't seen, sorry, I'm just going to finish this up real quick. The, the anime I've never seen, but it was always in my, my Netflix queue. So after seeing part one, I said, well, I want to go and see if it holds up or how it compares. I'm enjoying the anime much better. It allows itself to breathe a little more. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that are changed just for thematics. Almost how, how I was saying with how the wire was different from Man on a Wire. I think the anime does a, a better job because they have a lot less limitation. And they don't have to truncate everything down to... I don't know what everything end up being with both movies, like maybe like four hours or something like that. Yeah, they could develop it a little bit better in the in the anime, and usually anime is a little prettier to look at. You're not distracted by, uh, like you said, like the you know people in onesies, you know, to yeah, cover their exactly. nipples in their private parts, you know. But yeah, that's all I was going to ask if you had seen the anime, especially as you end up wanting to know, especially making the comparison between man on wire and yeah and the wire is that see i it's the first anime series i've watched that's new in 20 years because i the first time i saw the image of the titan i thought it looked amazing mm-hmm. like seeing imagery of it and then it reminded me of there's a great clive barker story 
in Books of Blood. I can't remember which volume, but it's called In the Hills and the Cities. Mm -hmm. And that's basically kind of what it reminded me of. It's not, of course, as in uh, as good as the Clyde Barker. It's very original. But anime for me was something I enjoyed. I was a huge fan of when I was younger. And it's just I, I the, the culture and a lot of it surrounding it, I just I can't stand it anymore. But I never lost sight that the, it still has interesting art to it and, mm -hmm. and good ideas. I just found out, like I did in a lot of things, that I enjoy the more horror and cult stuff. But I agree that um, this series is really is it you know has all the hallmarks of the traditional kind of anime series. But I don't know. There's something still really good about it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, other than that, I'm I'm almost done watching Sons of Anarchy. I'm halfway through season seven, the final season, and I may have mentioned this you know, a, a year ago, because I, I keep trying to get back into the series. Uh, it's a really hard series for me to watch because it's so intense and so yeah. much stuff is happening that it'll give me really bad dreams at night if I watch too many of them in a row. Oh, wow. Um, I got extremely bored with the whole Belfast when they went to Belfast to retrieve Season three. Kid. three. Yeah. Season yeah. three was just really hard to get through. It just didn't get to the point. It didn't wrap up fast enough for me so that's why i put it on the shelf and then i i picked it up again got up to end of season four uh stopped there for the longest time and then uh last week i picked up season five and season five and season six is the most insane things i've ever seen on tv what they do with the characters yeah i i have not yelled at the television in many years <laughs> <laughs> but Gemma does some stuff in there that I am just like, what are you? Oh, she she's doing? such so a great stupid. villain yeah. though. She becomes oh. such an amazing. The only person I hated more in a series was uh, what's her name from uh, Weeds. I hate her so much by the end of it. I just, Nancy, Nancy, yeah. yeah, I just want her dead like so badly. And then with Gemma, she's one. It's Sons of Anarchy is the only show I've ever binge watched. When people talk about, oh, I've I watched all of Game of Thrones at once, or all Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. is the only show I've ever, like, I just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it just hit it perfectly. I, although yeah. the Belfast one was at the, really hard to get through. Yeah. They so. just, yeah, it just went on too long. Well, you'll have to let us know what happens <coughs> once you uh, finish it. Yeah, I tried to finish it today, but I just had, I had other stuff to do. Have you finished that one, Victor? Oh, yeah, well, okay. Back. Yeah, so... Because it only wrapped up, I think, last year, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like 2014. Yeah. Then he did that bastard executioner show, which got canceled like in one season. Oh, did it? Oh, and he um he wrote uh, Southpaw, the uh, oh, Jake Gyllenhaal movie. He did? Really? Yeah, Anton Fuqua directed, but Kurt Sutter wrote it. Huh. I did not know yeah. that. Now I'm going to have to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I saw that one, too. I may have mentioned on podcast, but I didn't. It's mm -hmm. not bad. I like I don't like sports at all, but I do like sports movies, especially sports you know, dramas yeah. or sports comedies. I, so. I do kind of, you know, like The Fighter is probably the only one of the recent David O. Russells that I like. I do think Christian Bale really deserved the Academy Award he got for that. His character was so terrible. A terrible person. Yeah. Mm. So that's all you watched, Adam? Yeah, no, because, yeah, we were all tied up with all that Star Wars stuff. Yeah. So. I've only watched a few things. Um, I watched like the first, like the first season and a half of uh, Empire, the show on Fox with um, Terrence Howard. It's like um, 
you know, I've told those stories where you go go to a movie theater in like an urban part of town, and people are like, "Oh no, you didn't! <gasps> no!" <laughs> Literally, if you watch Empire, you will do that like at least three times per episode. It's just one of those like shows that so you it's, like it's hate a, watch. It's the type of show you'd want to watch with like Wendy Williams or something like that. It, it's like um, is this on your? Did you watch it on your way to choir practice? What? Just with you, oh, man. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, it's it's like uh, you know, like like I watched Scandal for a while, and it's like one of those like like n- nighttime soap opera kind of shows set with politics. Mm-hmm. And Empire's like that, but with music. I talked like with Mary and a few other people, and like it's just one of those shows you just like hate watch. I mean, it's just like uh, t- it's like it's bad. You know, you know, it's like these are terrible characters, and it's just like written just so you'll go, oh no. Like, you just want to hit somebody. But it's, like, funny. I, I can't really explain It's, like, crack TV. No, I know a lot of people who like it. Yeah. What yeah. what, so what an apt well. analogy there. Yeah. Racist. Shush. <laughs> um, speaking of racism, I also watched Get Hard with uh, Kevin Hart and Will oh, Ferrell. I actually like that. I saw that. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. But, yeah, it's just very inappropriate. Oh, yeah. I still think uh, Allison Brie, uh, Brie's character in that movie at the beginning where she's having this like terrible sex scene with uh, Will Ferrell is like, just one of the funniest things in that movie. <laughs> she's so good. I, I liked her on Mad Men. I like her in comedies. You know, I'm glad she's like transitioning and doing features. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like it did remind me of that thing about like uh, Anne Hathaway was saying like, oh, you know, she's in her 30s and now they say she's not, she's too old to be a 50-year-old man's love interest. And seeing like uh, Alison Brie, who's like in her late 20s, I think, play like Will Ferrell's wife just seemed like all kinds of wrong to me. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I thought it was interesting. They had a, the, I remember reading, I don't know how big it got controversy-wise, but before I saw it, um, I'd read something, a lot of the gay community was upset that the movie or at least a faction of the gay community was upset that uh it uh they're like it was one big long joke about prison rape and i'm seeing yeah pretty much and i'm sitting here going well yeah of course we're talking about a will ferrell if it had been adam sandler it would have been even worse but i'm sitting here going the guy's like, what's well, about a, f- a man, heterosexual men's fear of anal sex? And I'm sitting here going. It's just like that episode of The Boondocks. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's totally a Tom, the Tom episode. But it's it's one of those things where I'm going, well, sure. But I said, but who does not fear being raped? I go, that's a logical fear to have. And if people want to make fun of it, too, they can. But people are like, well, it's just, it's just making fun of the gay community. I'm like, this is literally one of the most asinine arguments I've ever heard against a film. Besides the fact that it's a Will Ferrell film, it's just like the Zoolander 2. It's like people are complaining about the trailer oh, right. and with yeah, the Cumberbatch yeah, yeah. character. I'm sitting here going, and I stand solidarity with the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender community, but I don't stand with suppressing free speech when you could easily just say Zoolander 2 looks terrible. So, you know, or yeah. Two-Lander. I'm sorry. I don't. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. Um, the only thing worse than that I saw was the Barbershop 3 promo. Oh, yeah, and that had one of those stupid titles, like The Final Cut or some shit like that. Yeah, or yeah. In the Cut or something. Yeah, yeah. it's... Ah, uh, yeah. I, I still just drop the mic there and just no. walk away. <laughs> but, yeah, no, for the most part, I, I did think it was a funny movie. It was interesting seeing a Ron Funches cameo, so that got me through. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so not too bad. Um, 
And then the last thing I saw is the new uh, Draft House Films movie, The World of Kanako. It's directed by Tetsuya Nakashima. Um, easiest way I could describe it is if you like um, like Audition or Old Boy or like Ichi the Killer, you'll probably like it. Um, it's like a Japanese director's version of like a 70s revenge movie. There's lo- There's tons of 70s like funk music in there. Some like fun like animated little scenes. Um, now was this, is this little a music video parts? Found movie or no? No, it's a new movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it feels like a Takashi Miike movie. I will say the first half is way more interesting than the end, which kind of drags. Um, you can get it right now on VOD, and um, if you live in Phoenix, I'm th- I think it starts at like Film Bar next week or something. Um, but yeah. It, it's worth checking out, but yeah, I was kind of expecting it to be a little cooler, but it's kind of just like audition, old boy, same kind of thing, you know. Hmm. And that's pretty much it that, that I've seen lately. Cool. Oh, oh, I will say um, that uh, I, I went to the uh, Harkins Camel View 5 this past week because actually they're going out of business Did you on get Thursday. Your button? Did you yes, get your button? I got my button. If you went to see one of their. Classics film series, you got a commemorative pin that's basically like, uh, 1973 or 2015. It has like a little raised enamel pin. Because raised enamel is the new hotness for movie pins, everyone. You know, when I, it is when the I, new black. When I saw the, the picture of the of the pin, uh-huh. uh, or maybe get, uh, try guess what I thought it looked like initially, just kind of like looking at it. Tops? Um, UFOs? No, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> more, more of a, a recent movie... Or when did it come out? Maybe earlier this year. That involved a pin. Did it kind of look like Tomorrowland? The pin. Oh, I didn't see that movie. Well, you saw the trailers, and they had. Oh a pin yeah, with there the was a pin. Yeah, with yeah. the orange in the background at the the T. Yeah, like it does kind of look like that. That's what I thought of. I mean, just a little side note. It would. It wouldn't one. shock me if that's where they got the idea from. But mm-hmm. but it does tie into this thing that right now I don't know if we mentioned last time. It seems like raised enamel pins are like the new thing pog. that yeah, yeah the new pog. pog that all like horror and genre people are into like i can't even put into my brain how many raised enamel pins i saw like this past black friday of like horror shit uh when i was at fan fest yesterday like i mean most people know the whole like loot crate horror box box of mm-hmm. dread nerd box all this stuff, i but never got it they had, it seems um, like it's just a way to get rid of more pops it's a lot of pops a lot of promotional stuff but um, some are, are well done. Some people are starting to do, like I know Box of Dread does exclusives because I have I bought off of eBay the Reanimator issue that was uh, uh, exclusive. Um, but the um, no, as I was gonna say, it's definitely the they had these one the Mario mystery box things with like in the coin box kind of thing, coin block. Oh, that's kind of cool. And it's it they look cool and stuff, but it's like forty bucks a pop, and I must have seen. 100 to 200 people walking around with them mm. so i'm sitting here going i need to get in this business i mean like asap because it's just one of those things i just cannot believe how much it's cool i mean like they were they put high-end stuff i think one had an xbox one or a ps4 or something Jeez. so you know potentially you get something good but it's but even that i mean it's like i don't know i like fun stuff like that and i think that's part of the reason like with the pins and some of the other kind of tchotchkes I, I mean, there's definitely a hipster yeah. effect, but I think a lot of it, too, is that people just like, 
especially as some things are getting so expensive. It's like yeah. we talked did, about. I did briefly consider signing up for a couple of these just to like eBay everything that came in them, like review then sell. You know, I don't know. Uh, so now it's time for let me ask. Uh-huh. Seems to be my little segment now again. Uh-huh. How long do you think like the whole like I'm just gonna blanket statement like loot crate fad gonna last? I'd say like uh, once the bubble bursts on pops, it'll die quickly. Yeah, how long? I don't know, year and a half maybe. I'm I'm gonna make the prediction that what's gonna happen with them um, is is that because they just did one for Mass Effect the game, and they made a high end one. It was $75 for one of the boxes. And they did a limited amount. Obviously, the more limited you make stuff, the faster it'll sell. But um, I think that it's because people are like Victor hit on are going to get really sick of all the ch- if cheap they, if promo they stuff. If did one like, that had like, you were guaranteed to get like an exclusive NECA figure of something or like a Hot Toys or something high end, yeah, I'd like to try it at least once. Well, yeah, but it's. But but with like Loot Crate, that's more of like a subscription based sort of thing. Where yeah, that's what I'm asking yeah. because stuff I remember when Star Wars Galaxies came out and you what you and I and it was you know that was really early on when they started doing this, where then you would get like the collector's edition box and that's just a video game that's a one time purchase. You got like your little uh, dude in there and you know the book and all that stuff. I'm more talking about like the subscription based. Oh no, I think I think subscription stuff. Will stay. I think it's the competitive nature right now of it, of the price points, mm-hmm. because it's generally around twenty. So if people sign up and then you get a couple bucks off, so you're at like seventeen for a year commitment, mm-hmm. but you're still at over two hundred dollars a year just to commit to this. And some people get like four or five boxes, so maybe you're at thousand dollars a year, and it's like, and it's like you have to evaluate: Are you getting a thousand dollars worth of stuff that you could have bought on your own? Versus that, but then a lot of people, like, I love mail, I love collecting stuff, but the thing is, is I just can't, like, mo- uh, the one or two I've tried, I-, I didn't think they were bad, it just, I didn't get my money's worth, is the simple fact. I don't think you ever do, you get, like, no, I, I, I most even... of what I've seen, it's like, okay, you'll get, like, an exclusive comic, some kind of pop, maybe some stickers, or a lanyard, or a t-shirt, right? That's pretty much a standard one. So out of like a hundred people who maybe would subscribe to this for one year didn't feel like they got their money's worth, what do you think would be is like the percentage of people that stick on for like an, another year? Because obviously, like you said, there's some people who will get four subscriptions to Because they it. do it because they love it. I don't I, think there's that many people who do it year after year. I think this is a one... You you do it until you get as many, and then you stop. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen people who have had buyer's remorse. Yeah. So oh, my yeah. friend's saying, you know what, I'm sick. You know, the last two boxes have really sucked. Well, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think that they do, because it's such a huge part of, like, Instagram and, like, a lot of the Twitter and sharing sites that I think it's just hit a point where people are, like, there's so much negative feedback. It's hard. Mm-hmm. I'd say if you're going to do a subscription service, it's more – this is broad, whereas people who have more success – like I can definitely say, like a Death Waltz or a Waxwork. If you're into vinyl and scores yeah. and stuff, they um, you know, they will always do an exclusive variant. That's a collector's club exclusive. Period. Right. That's it, and that's the way you do it. I will say, um, when the Ash vs. Evil Dead show is coming out, 
one of the clever things that the people promoting it did was they set up a uh, website. It was called BigAshPackage.com. And they were like, put in your email and your uh, address and we'll send you a Big Ash package to celebrate the show for free, which is basically a loot box. And I put my email in, right? And I got one. And it was... um, a big old box, you know, it said big ash package, whatever. You open it up, and inside there was a large Ash versus Evil Dead t shirt, which wasn't even like a like youth large. It's like Jesus Christ, right? A Ash versus Evil Dead beer pong game with like eight red solo cups with the logo on them mm. and a pong ball. A uh, keychain opener. Italian. Yeah, a keychain, you know, like a chainsaw, like a beer opener uh-huh. and a 24 by 36 poster oh and there was a beer koozie too that says like shotgun this right and it's like okay for free for free you know i'm saying that's pretty good the, the poster actually is really awesome i ended up getting that framed and i have it in my house you know do i think that would be worth ten dollars no but that's pretty much what you would get in a standard horror crate box well, I think a lot of them now are trying to do one up it, and I know one of them is doing Room Morgue in it every year, and Room Morgue is ten dollars an issue. Um, and if you're a fan, don't have a subscription. At least they're starting to add, and the the exclusive thing is new. That's only been in like the last year. Mm-hmm. Before it was like, let's get crap, like let's be a gray market goods store, like a dollar store, for like all this stuff and just push it on through. So I think they're trying, they have to, like you're saying, what's the longevity of it? I think if they continue, I don't know if they'll ever get to the point where, hey, one in 100 boxes has a Hot Toys figure. Um, but I do think, especially as people are becoming more and more um, willing to spend a ton of money on this, that's why this, this it's gained so huge, mm-hmm. um, is because the market oh, for so collectibles yeah, the market supply is, and demand, is oh, supply and demand. Right. But I think people are just going, it's also because... I'm not, I mean, it's, it's my generation, but it's definitely like the millennials is a huge part of it is I want to have what no one else has because that's what their whole life, a a huge part of a lot of their lives is. So I don't know, but speaking of marketing, 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 there you go. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. I guess we've hit on the meat of the episode. Do you want to kick it off? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you do this one because there's not. I mean, we can we can go on and on and stuff. I think we we had a good lead in there as to what we're talking about, but it's. Um, I mean, I think everybody knows. I mean, this is especially in the last ten years. I would say this is such a. It's a huge part of every discount bin, as you mentioned. Yeah. But it's it's become like such an immense part of pop culture now. Well, yeah. Now that movies are well, relatively less expensive to make and cgi someone with the right computer skills could do a you know a somewhat halfway decent crappy job at putting in a, a robot or uh you know whatever else right mm-hmm. this is a big gamut to me when i think of mockbusters i mean you definitely use that title to say you know the title the films that are obviously clearly capitalizing on a blockbuster feature a major studio temple yeah, but then I also think of sci-fi originals. I think mm-hmm. of um, all the um, and stuff from the 70s and 80s. That's kind of how we le- led in to, we were talking about, um, I mean, Adam actually brought this topic. He thinks of a lot of amazing ones, and we kind of brainstormed here. But 
Because we were also thinking of all the films that try to capitalize on a star's success. Like, right. oh, we have this old film we unearth, and oh yeah, they're, you know. I hit- see this. I see this again all the time when I log on to my Roku. Um, like the last season of Mad Men specifically, like I would get on there, and you know, on Roku there's a little digital billboard, and there'd be like a picture of um, the girl who plays Peggy on Mad Men. It's like. See her in The Addict, you know, which is this, like, shitty, like, you know, horror movie she was in, like, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, every, and you'd see stuff like that every once in a while. It's like, oh, I like that actor. Let me check them out on this. And, of course, the movie's terrible. And they're in it. Either it's one of their first movies or it's one they're only in for, like, a few minutes at all. Like, the big one I remember of that elk is like a uh, Texas chainsaw, the next generation yeah, with Matthew a, McConaughey and uh, Renee Zellweger. Yeah. Yeah. Example. That's a great example. <coughs> I always remember the one I saw as a kid cause I always loved him so much was uh John Candy and the clown murders. I mean, cause that was, wow, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, it was such like a low, low budget, like mid seventies, early mid seventies film, kind of like a public domain film too. That wasn't Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of like I mean, cause it happens there too. But um, yeah, it's a great one. There's so many horror movies. Viggo Mortensen was in um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, Leatherface. Well, um, and then you got to think, you know, that you mentioned horror movies. You had uh, Roger Corman who discovered so many actors. Everybody yeah. just wanted to to act, and Corman was like, well, my door's always open. Just come in, and I'll stick you in a movie. Uh-huh. You know, Little Shop of Horrors, you had um, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just one example of many. But I remember, you know, going back to even the early days when I was little, where you would start realizing these different actors were in, uh, you know, what they started in, which they would have taken the lead at that point. Um, the Outsiders is probably one of the first oh, ones that I remember. That's a great, yeah. great. With just like with Coppola, how he just he canvassed the uh, with his actors just brilliantly, uh, which made it even um, there are more layers to it. It's just it no, was just I, very thick and 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 juicy. That's such a great example because I always that was one of my favorite. S. E. Hinton was my favorite novelist growing up. She wrote. Just the best stories. Mm-hmm. I, I loved all of them. But The Outsiders, of course, is what got me into it. And seeing the film, I mean, what is that? C. Thomas Howell, Patrick Swayze, Ralph Macchio, Tom Cruise. Um, is Kiefer Sutherland in it? I don't remember. It seemed like a Sutherland one, wouldn't it? Yeah, but he, I was trying to remember all the socials I'm and pretty, all I'm, the I'm greasers. pretty sure he's in it. Well, and a callback to uh, uh, Tom Waits. He was in it, too. I remember that. There's just so many folks. who are, oh, Matt Dillon is uh, Dallas. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it's like every '80s heartthrob guy is pretty much in that movie. Yeah. Um, but and it's just such a great. I mean, it's such a great film. But and that one. I mean, it's like nowadays you think of that. That's like a uh, Tarantino marquee right. of like actors, pretty much. So. And after that, where where I would see VHS movies come out, or you know, like you were saying with like the Roku, like oh, you should see them in this where they're capitalizing on uh, star power after the fact, Keanu Reeves seemed to do these tiny, tiny little roles, little like little walk-on roles. Yeah. But then when you would see the cover art for some movie that you never heard of before, he'd be not right in the center and not top build, but they would kind of, they, they would uh, kind of blow up his image and stick it more off to the left or right and... 
kind of like, oh yeah, Keanu Reeves in this. I'm gonna rent it, and you watch it, and you're like, either whoa. you don't even see him, you're like, whoa, man. Well, and then there's the whole Bruce Lee exploitation thing in the 70s and 80s, where like they would get a Bruce Lee move, like footage of him for something, put it in there for two seconds, and get a lookalike for the rest of the movie. Didn't Jackie Chan have the same yeah. problem too? Yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. But they, um, I mean, horror I always think of as the ultimate. And I mean, you think of all the big, especially, it's weird. Well, trauma. Yeah, there's trauma. But there's mm-hmm. also, I mean, I always think of the 70s and 80s. I mean, obviously, um, Jaws being one of the biggest. Orca. Um, oh, God, I'm trying to remember all, all And that was like also the 70s were such the era after Jaws was the era of the animals amok. Well, yeah. Much. I mean, there's Orca. The other thing I think you're thinking one is Tiburon. Yeah, there's another one though. Was it Great White Death? No, it's the I think it's the documentary on shark exploitation. But there's so many of them out there. I'd have <laughs> to look it up. Let's let's, let's exploit those at, sharks. Exploiting the sharks. Piranha. <laughs> yeah, well, there's Piranha, and that's also Corman's discovery yeah, of right. James Cameron and right. Piranha too. But um, no, I had I had it pulled up. <clears throat> there was I mean, there's so many. I also remember Aliens, or Alien was um. Because I I always loved the Deadly Spawn and it was the return of the aliens Deadly Spawn yeah um and the VHS big box yeah well, and then remember how many after Terminator came out how many like Terminator oh yeah I remember like, even, even like TC two thousand with um Billy Blanks yeah. as like the Black yeah. Terminator or or even like Cyborg yeah you know even had that going for it Universal Soldier was the same year i mean yeah and they're all they some stand alone as their own films like universal soldier but obviously it was like the era of cyborgs and stuff but yeah i found it sorry here so grizzly orca mako the jaws of death nightwing piranha alligator up from the depths great white creature monster shark day of the animals eaten alive on a talk day of the animals and yeah yeah that's so so it's basically the you know the the sci-fi channel of yeah, and even ones the that it's strange that you don't think about, like Dawn of the Dead, and uh-huh. how it launched Zombie Two and uh, Hell of the Living Dead and all those. I was just watching Zombie the other day, and it's like, yeah, like that movie doesn't work without Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. you know. And that's like the interesting thing about like knockoff movies. It's like how many of them can stand on their own without the actual movie they're ripping off existing but see then then you need to ask what is the difference between it being a genre movie and it being a complete almost exact ripoff because i was looking at some more modern ones you had pacific rim but you had atlantic rim yeah which was asylum or you have the transformers or you had the trans transmorphers morphers yeah where it's so obvious. Uh, even the covers look almost the same. Well, yeah. And it's weird because it's kind of based... A, a lot of the the heyday of the asylum and a lot of these companies in the mid-2000s up to the death of like Blockbuster was based on the fact that like we're giving it a similar title so it'll be right next to the movie you want to rent so that when they're out of that movie, you'll be like, oh, well... This seems like it's similar. I'll rent that. We like to call that the Little Debbie Snacks of film. (laughs) It's basically what it is. It's like, oh, God, I was really craving, like, some real donuts or snack cakes, but I'm just going to settle. (laughs) Like, 
But it is. But but in the the in it is the rise of CGI as you mentioned, um, Adam. It's totally the ability to make cheap films easily, to to have good litigation lawyers, copyright lawyers, to argue that what is fair use and all that. And it's, I mean, it's, and then of course under uh, that it's parody. Um, you know, so many of, I mean, obviously like the whole scary movie, date movie, yeah, disaster movie, yeah, those, games, all that. Yeah, stuff. those were all you can call it, call it that or parody. But I'd say it was the ability to say, oh, hey, we have. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's just even the last couple of years I saw, I remember seeing, what was it, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, mm-hmm. you know, some with, because Hansel and Gretel you can use. I mean, nobody yeah. owns Hans Christian Andersen stuff anymore or any of the other Grimm's fairy tales. It's, right, or Frankenstein. It's, yeah, exactly. There's yeah. another one. It's, um, so, unless an estate owns it, like, you can't make the Karloff Frankenstein's monster, you know, it's, it's, but you can parody it. Yeah, So right. But I mean, the mockbuster thing is definitely what you're hitting on. But it, it's just it's such a wide expanse. But it, and it's nothing new. That's what I was saying. The no. same stuff. You said Carnosaur too. Yeah, that was like one of the first ones I've ever seen. Like, oh, you got to be kidding me! Like, <laughs> no way. Well, the funniest thing to me is even without the video stores existing, like Walmart serves that same purpose for a lot of these places. Yeah, they they do. Because like I've been to Walmart and like you know, say you're looking for Avengers: Age of Ultron. Right next to it, you'll find Avengers Grimm, which is the like one of the latest Asylum movies. Right. And it's, you know, there's a threat to the world. So it happens when Hansel and Gretel and like all these different fairy tale heroes come together. And that one works on two levels because you're getting the once upon a time people <laughs> and the people who would be into a team up movie. I strangely was thinking Hoodwink 3, actually, yeah. when you started talking about it. But you are right. The Once Upon a Time kind of people would be into it. I that- think I think really the saddest ones is when they start doing the animated <laughs> ones. If it's like Happy Feet and they have like, you know, Tippy Feet or something, it's, it's really sad to see really bad animation. Yeah. Or how they do now with, uh, you know, those like, the Tinkerbell, uh, you know, those those ones, you know, like the ones that... Uh, direct my, video. Direct video that my nieces used to watch uh, that are just completely computer-generated and real... Like, I don't know. It's just... Uh, it's not art like our cartoons back in the day. Well, apparently, I guess Disney was doing that for a while, but when uh, Pixar took over, they, like, killed a bunch of those movies because they're like, no, we can't go down this yeah. route. But it doesn't stop those same people from doing... All these brats and Barbie right. movies, Monster just High. like you're t- talking about. Exactly. I, I was watching on Amer. I think it was American Masters on PBS. They did a really good documentary on Walt Disney, and one of the best segments of that is when they were talking about well, not how he treated the animators, but when they were doing Snow White. They really went into the process, which was just really fascinating, just really cool. How just every single cell and you know went down the line. People painted different parts. I mean, it was he was using those people as slave labor doing it. But I forgot how just incredibly fluid and beautiful Snow White is. The movie. I know it's kind of amazing that movie. I think it's going to be like eighty years old in like a couple of years, Mm -hmm. and it still looks better. Than most traditional like animation at all. I kind of wish they would 
bring that back a little bit, but I think it's kind of gone the way of. Well, I think after uh, what was it, Treasure Planet and the the uh, Atlantis, they kind of just said no more, and then they did Princess and the Frog, and it it just didn't click either. And I think it's just because people, I mean, definitely you're targeting to younger audiences. And I think, I think actually kind of going back to what we we're talking about anime, I think a lot of people get into anime because they've never seen art like that. And most people start with like Studio Ghibli and um, some of the other, mm-hmm. the Miyazaki films, which are absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Like some of the most beautiful films ever made. Yeah. But I think they go back to that. But I mean, I don't think people could ever appreciate. I mean, obviously... Those were some of the first videos I ever owned was Fantasia, Dumbo, Robin Hood is probably still my favorite Disney film. And it, it doesn't always have to be perfect animation. It's just there's so much heart in those films. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm sure for all of Walt Disney's failings, numerous personal and professional, you know, the studio he built, the people who were involved, I think really obviously cared a lot um, and made an amazing, amazing art for it. But um yeah, I mean, like, the, the direct-to-video and stuff, though, it's funny that you bring it up. When I worked and managed a video store and worked in several was, that's what saved video stores, was the direct-to-video oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to family. I mean, that's I think that's what saved Full Moon Pictures after Empire Collapse. I mean, they were making Puppet Master films, but it was actually their Moonbeam imprint right. that made, like, Dragon World and all these chintzy... What was the other one that was, like... Oh, God, they had one that was kind of like a... Uh, like a Dinotopia or something, like a Land Before Time. They had one of those, too. Well, that, Land Before Time is a good example. There's another great example. Yeah. There was... Um, it was actually cool, actually, at FanFest. Don Bluth was there. Yeah, I didn't know until after the fact. Yeah, yeah, I saw that online, and not to get off topic too much, but I'm like, they really should have advertised that way more that he was there. The guy's, like, in his 90s, and he's literally responsible for, like... You know, most people's favorite childhood, you know, like American, American Tale. I remember when that came out in the 80s was literally like as big as any Disney movie, you know, like nominated for Academy Awards for score, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like Secret of Nim or All Dogs Go to Heaven. And like literally you just hear about, oh, yeah, last minute, by the way, Don Bluth. All right. Go back to Amy Pond, everybody. Well, if everyone did, I mean, I know we all grew up. (laughs) playing dragon's lair oh yeah no. Yeah. i mean I, I was like my favorite arcade mm-hmm. game i was so blown away and realizing later that it was a laser disc yeah and like i was like this is unbelievable <laughs> to look at but it, it was just beautiful animation yeah and i'm pretty sure secret and nim is the reason and i'm vegan i think it planted the seed early on but to it, me the most amazing thing is i saw secret of nim on like the disney channel it's not even a disney movie right no no yeah, like I watched that so much. It's like such a good movie. Mm-hmm. It is. You know, that's the the eternal thing about wanting to make original films versus making de- not just mockbusters but derivative stuff. Right. And that's cuz it's like what is it in the 90s for every uh, you know, oh, you made Dante's Peak, we're going to make Volcano. <laughs> exactly. You made Armageddon, Deep Impact. We're going to make Deep Impact. It's like everybody had to have that. I mean, that's a huge extension of that. There were so many films like that and in uh, still now there's I'm, I'm pretty positive i mean and some that maybe aren't exactly direct you know head to head but i even think of films like san andreas and i see uh uh everest yeah you know and those have always been made like man versus nature kind of films but mm-hmm. 
it's just hit a point where they're just like all over the place. And something that just came to mind, I was thinking, well, you, you know, one of my favorites, Guardians of the Galaxy. I haven't really seen anything out there that's like that. But then I don't know where my mind just kind of went off into a uh, uh, right turn around the corner. Uh, and I don't remember what the production company is, but now they're just doing pornos. Of what? The, of the, of oh, yeah, these, yeah. Now I got Victor's attention. No, it's like, oh, are you talking about like those triple X parody things? Yeah, like yeah. The, the Woody Company. I can't remember what they're called, but uh, yeah, where they do like the parodies, but they're pornos. Yeah, I think it's funny because they're not even clever like the 80s. It's kind of just like Batman triple X parody right. instead of like, you know, whatever. Edward Penis Hands. Yes, something. exactly. We did have Edward Penis Hands and had to send it back because it had an underage actress in right. it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, actually FBI seized. Yeah. Wow. But I think a lot of these movies are based on this whole trickle-down idea. They know they're not going to make, you know, a million dollars, but maybe they'll make 500000 from enough people who like, you know, that particular movie enough that they'll blow 10 bucks on a movie that's yeah. kind of like it to keep the kids quiet. You know, I remember, <coughs> excuse me, guys, I'm a little Jeez. sick, but, um, blew my headphones on that one. <laughs> sorry about That's that. Right. But, um, you know, a lot of times these play, these, they take risks. Cause uh, I remember a few years ago or 10 years ago, there was a Daniel Craig, Nicole Kidman invasion of the body snatchers remake called the invasion that bombed really hard. And asylum made a, a mockbuster to go along with it called invasion of the pod people. And, you know, they, they, I remember going along like, well, we don't hit a home run every time, guys. You know, we only had to make, you know, 40000 to break even, and I think we might get there in 10 years. <laughs> you know, and I saw Invasion of the Pod people saw Netflix, and it's really shitty. You know, they, it's basically like they didn't even bother making seed pods. They're using pieces of, like, ginger that, like, you could tell are being moved by a stick or something. Is is there anything in your guys' mind that stands out as a good example? I think uh, their best idea was Titanic 2. I didn't necessarily <laughs> the best film, but that's genius. Well, yeah, right. I, well, I don't, I don't even... Well, no, well, no, how no, would but you I mean, like, like a Titanic 2? No, but then there's, like, films, too. There, I mean, I can't think of a single film of that, from that, like, from Asylum. Either. But I can say that I feel like... And it's it's tied into Grindhouse or call exploitation, but to me, like Snakes on a Plane is basically an asylum film. Oh yeah, it's like an asylum original that just happened to have like a major cast, and they did make Snakes on a Train, just so everybody knows. Yes, but but so would you? I mean, but you would call that? Well, you you would call Snakes on a Plane a homage to the you know decades earlier films that played into that schlock. But you have snakes on a train, which is which is what we are talking about, which is the which probably made more money than snakes on a plane. Probably. Oh, I meant more. Sorry, my point was just more towards the fact that no, I mean, I, in direct response to your question, I don't remember seeing anything good. But I feel like what I was trying to say, snakes on a plane, was is that I feel like that's what an asylum, if they made original, original, original ideas, that's basically what they would do. Mm. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there's stuff, too. It's like, what they make? Paranormal Entity was, like, their paranormal activity. Yeah. And it's like, well, how can you really make, like, I mean, how can it go wrong? Because they're not that good anyway. No. Like, it's like, it's not that Well, like, the funniest film. thing to me is some of these, like, Paranormal Entity actually sounds like a good title for a movie the same way Invasion of the Pod People did. 
better than the movies they're parroting. So would it behoove them to make a movie that was within that genre, give a the best fresh take that they could, call it Paranormal Entity, and have a very similar cover to Paranormal Activity, would you give it credit? If the movie was actually good. Yeah, but, but it never it, is. No, no. I, I know, so you're, no. you're kind of going down that just that straight road of like you're you're kind of blocked off there. What if the movie was actually really good? I'm not saying let's say it's not even yeah. from that production company. No, no. But what they did is they just took advantage of using a name that was kind of similar. Mm-hmm. They they made the cover look almost exactly the same as a, a popular franchise, but they gave like a really fresh uh, approach to it. I it's, think it's possible with something like a paranormal no, entity. I really do. It could, but the the fact that you're aping it is going to color the reviewer no matter what. I think. Okay. I yeah. think I think it was much easier in the seventies and eighties with a you know some knockoff. Either mm-hmm. people just I think people have a lot more fun. I mean I think Asylum obviously doesn't take themselves and similar stews do not take themselves that seriously. Yeah, I don't want but, to just you know focus on one company. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I, and I wasn't trying to. I was going to say right. in the similar right, ilk, right. No. but I don't think they. But the thing is, at the same time, they are about making money, mm-hmm. n- n- just as much as anybody in the seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. But I think that. Um, you know, you know, it's kind of like we didn't even delve into yet into like foreign films. Like I just saw a message from space this year at um New Beverly, which was the Japanese Star Wars. Uh-huh. It's not as famous as like Turkish Star Wars, but it's clearly and it's a super original idea. It's one of the weirdest fucking movies I've ever seen outside mm-hmm. of me House. Yeah, I mean the Japanese know how to do fucked up. Let me tell you. Um, even go- when I went to Japan, I got that confirmed. But they um. It really is, but I mean, that's an original idea. I mean, it's such a bizarre concept, Mm -hmm. and the way they did it, that I could appreciate that. I mean, obviously, I'm laughing in MST3K, but I go, but if you pitch that script, and there hadn't been a Star Wars yet, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like an acid trip, Well, that's the thing. A lot of these movies get made because of the success of another movie. Like, would there be a Critters or Ghoulies without Gremlins? You could argue those are like, you know you know, rip-offs or descendants of those movies. Oh, and sure. I think Critters is an awesome movie, mm-hmm. you know? Well, yeah. So the, then that would be an example yeah, of saying, exactly. yes, it, it, could, it could work. Without yeah. Child's Play, there wouldn't be Puppet Master. There wouldn't be a lot of the puppet films that I really enjoy, yeah. doll movies. So they just open the door sometimes. So there's, there's, a, like okay. a, there's yeah. the bright side of it, or the upswing, right. is, is that there's some really interesting stuff that opens. I think it's just that um, that's more in the genre. And I, I think genre is very open wide. So you're saying back, you know, probably cut off maybe the 90s. Uh, back, that was all mostly genre. Still trying to capitalize on a, a proven franchise mm-hmm. with their own, not necessarily original take on something, uh, but pique the interest of, yeah, of it's the consumer. Pro- producers seeing what was popular in the marketplace right. and trying to, you know, make a way. But then today, what they're content doing... Content providers. Right. Is is they are... They hear that Pacific Rim is the next Guillermo del Toro movie. They know that it's about these big badass robots and right out of the gate, they already know it's going to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. at, you know, over the summer. So let's write everything down let's you know shoot out this script let's shoot it in you know uh, 20 days get it out on the shelves uh you know a month before it comes out in the theaters 
Which is, yeah, pretty much there. And then it sits there, you know, until it actually comes out on video. Uh-huh. You know, that just seems like the trend. Or now it's VOD. Now they just show yeah, it out Yeah, VOD. I see tons of it on VOD. Roku and stuff. But yeah, like I would say the downside is if you have a really fresh idea, but if you tie it too much to something, you don't know if it's a proven animal yet. Right. Because yeah. Pacific Rim, like, you know, it wasn't a solid financial success. It's one of those movies that's become one. Mm-hmm. over time you know because of the foreign markets and stuff so you don't want to be too married to that if you're doing a different product well, and then you're gonna say i mean to close it off kind of on that end it, it i'd say it's a strata too because i would say you have gremlins and then it's progeny it's like it's more uh beloved is obviously a critters or a ghoulies mm-hmm. And then on the subset of that is your munchies or your hobgoblins. So <laughs> oh, that's, that's the way I that. think all these films should be looked at is, is that that's where you end up. It's a trickle-down effect. Right. Yes, the, the beloved original property, but I said I still love Critters. I still love Ghoulies. Mm-hmm. But if I had to ever watch munchies or hobgoblins again, I mean, I just don't think I could. No. But so it, you, you do have a nice balance yeah, there. I would in the end, I'd say I'd rather watch E.T. than Mac and Me. <laughs> and let's end it with yeah. That. Let's let's close out on that. that note. Yeah. So Mockbusters. This was the cult following take on that topic. So hopefully you enjoyed. If there's any ones you think we should have spoken of more highly or at all, please hit us up on the comments on SoundCloud. Shoot us an email or leave us a comment on cultfollowing.co. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know how you think we were doing. If I need to uh, take more cold medicine, feel free to tell me that too. Um, In the meantime, I'm sure we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a more exciting topic or another scintillating discussion of what TV shows we've been watching. You mean like another exciting topic? Yes, another another exciting topic. Yeah, sorry guys. Like I said, you know, I'm gonna. Yeah, you just basically just crapped all over. Bi- no, I'm steering the ship towards that. <laughs> Tor- I, I'm, I'm making sure we're Titanic three. Okay. Yeah. No, sorry guys. Again, I need to take some Michael. But uh, again, thanks for tuning in. And like I said, tell your friends. Leave us a comment. Um, I'm one of your three hosts for this e- evening's edition of this podcast. Victor Marino, along with Adam Rakowski. Mm, bye. And Kirby, who just slurped. And until next time, uh, don't eat after midnight, stay hungry, and uh, take some zinc. <laughs>